0: Today on The Bill Kelly Show on 900CHML. Uh, My blog this morning, which is on our uh, webpage, the Bill Kelly Show page at 900CHML.com, why don't millennials vote? Uh, For those of us that are left scratching our heads at the results of recent elections on both sides of the border, a quick analysis of who actually votes may offer some valuable insight into the results. In the 60-plus age demographic, almost 90% of eligible voters cast their ballots. But on the other end of that spectrum... That's the Millennials, the 18 to 26, only 25%, only one in four actually took the time to vote. So, you know, you talk about you get the government you deserve. Uh, Why are not Millennials voting? Why does 75% of them not get involved in the political process? Joining us to talk about this is Christo Abeles, who is a Social Sciences and Humanities Research Council postdoctoral fellow uh, in history, of course, at the University of Toronto. Christo, great to have you with us. Thanks so much for the time today. Thanks for having me. We've always had this concern about voter turnout, and and it's it's been a concern, and I think a North American phenomenon for the longest time. But when you do this demographic breakdown, uh, the fact that the, the the millennials, the 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 up and coming generation, uh, don't seem to be involved in the political processes, that's rather troubling.
1: No, certainly. I mean, it it, it it certainly, and one one of the complications is that young people are very engaged in a lot of things, and some of those things are political, but they might not be. You know the core electoral politics, which is why you see the voter turnout issue. And you're right in noting that, you know, the narrative in this election, or the the recent provincial election here in Ontario, is that this was going to be the first election where millennials, um, which is you know the, you know the, there's a broad definition. Sometimes it's younger, younger, younger people. Sometimes it's people up into their mid 30s. But regardless, this was the first generation, uh, the first election in a long time where the boomer uh, generation would not be the biggest potential voting block. And, you know, the, the caution I raised at the time was that, look, millennials might now be the biggest voting block, but the question is, will they actually vote in, an, uh, in you know, sufficient numbers to, to actually become that big, biggest voting block? And as we've seen, you know, they didn't. And, and you're right, in, in Canada, we do have voter turnout issues. Some provinces are, have higher voter turnout than others, but, you know, this election in Ontario, we had higher turnout uh, than we've had in a long time, but, you know, it's, it's nothing approaching, you know, the 80, 90 percent you see in some parts of the world.
0: What I find interesting about this, and almost in Congress about this, though, Christo, is this is the generation, the, the millennials, this is the generation of, of, of startups, of, of going at their, on their own, of saying, look, I don't care how you've done it in the past, we're going to be different, we're going to be innovative. Uh, and, and you would think that they would take that sort of energy into the political process, but that doesn't seem to be the case.
1: I mean, it's, it's it, in some ways it, they have, like, I mean, if you look now, we're electing more younger politicians than we've had before. I mean, so in a sense, we are changing things. Like for instance, whether it was the 2011 um, NDP rise or Rachel Notley's government in Alberta, or even, you know, the Ford conservatives have a decent amount of, of young people in their, in their caucus. You know, young people are getting engaged more directly in the political process than maybe they had in the past. I mean, you're, 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 you're much more likely to see sub-30-year-olds in, in government, in, you know, legislatures, in, in parliament. You see some of them, some young people in cabinet. Even Justin Trudeau, in a, in a relative sense, is, is quite young for, for being, you know, prime minister. So, you know, young people are getting involved, but you, you make an interesting point. It's, it's not translating into a broad kind of rise in youth And young people turn out at the polls and it it is quite puzzling because you know young people in some ways have a lot of grievances um, whether it's you know lack of access to the same kind of job opportunities their parents had whether there's a concern about social programs not being there whether it's a concern about you know high daycare costs for people who are maybe starting families or who will be starting families in the next few years so you know there is a kind of sense that young people are getting involved there are role models for young people. I mean, Justin Trudeau is the oldest of the federal leaders right now, um, and we have two leaders that are sub 40. Um, but it's not translating into into participation amongst the kind of sub, so I say, sub 35, sub 30 crowd in actual voting.
0: Is it because they need some sort of a charismatic figure? And I don't mean that as as a as a as a knock against them, but historically we've seen that happen. Uh, where where that that age group that demographic will will as you say uh, gravitate to a uh, Barack Obama uh, you, you mentioned Bernie Sanders even in the last election uh, you know he was an older guy but by the same token that demographic seemed to, to relate a lot more to what he was saying
1: no certainly and I've written a bit about this if you look at uh, Jeremy Corbyn for instance in England who's running on a you know a distinct socialist platform and I think it's helpful because he's almost—he's old enough to remember the, 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 the world before neoliberalism. And the young people know only neoliberalism, and they don't very much like it. So it kind of was a, a match made in heaven, somebody like Bernie Sanders or Jeremy Corbyn and the young folks. But what happened in England was that they were projecting a conservative majority in the election in 2016, um, or 2017, sorry. And what ended up happening was a minority government, uh, in large part because the pollsters uh, systematically under Uh, underestimated youth turnout, because Jeremy Corbyn was able to tap into youth issues and youth energies in England, and I think that's certainly part of it. And a lot of people have talked about how Justin Trudeau maybe didn't win the election on young votes, but certainly maybe converted a minority into a majority based on a kind of higher youth turnout. And you're right in noting Obama, um, you know, his victory in in 2008 especially uh, was driven in part by a lot of youth energy a lot of energy from the african-american community but the challenge is and this goes back to what you've talked about is that you know the u.s has elections every two years and what ends up happening there is that um you know in 2010 when the midterms came up and in 2014 when there were midterms again i mean the democrats took quite the shellacking because republicans tend to be older and whiter and richer and the people who you know in the democrats tend to have a lot of young voters who vote less and like that's a real challenge is consistent voter engagement amongst young people, like election to election, municipal, provincial, and federal.
0: And and that engagement, I think that's a key point. Uh, And and again, I'll go back to the last presidential election, where that demographic seemed to gravitate towards Bernie Sanders. Uh, But when Sanders failed to to win the Democratic nomination, uh, that, that support just petered out. I mean, it did not translate over to the Democratic candidate, to Hillary Clinton. They just stayed home.
1: I mean, to a certain degree, that's true. I mean, Clinton, I mean, one of the narratives is that, you know, too many Bernie Sanders supporters either you know, you know didn't for Trump or what have you. And actually, you know, it's actually a quite common phenomenon. A lot of Hillary Clinton supporters voted for John McCain in 2008, for instance. But, but you're right in noting that for whatever reason, uh, Hillary Clinton was not able to capture youth energies. Now, if, if young people still voted for her in heavy numbers, I have saw some information that if only people under 30 voted in the U.S. election, the Democrats would have won 49 out of the 50 states or 48 out of the 50 states. Because young people, even when given a choice between two candidates they don't very much like, would have chose Clinton. But you're right in noting that for whatever reason, she wasn't able to tap into the kind of uh, youth energy, and maybe she wasn't offering sufficient platforms to young people. And I think it's a bit of a a feedback loop, because, you know, and maybe a chicken and egg thing, is that young people don't feel politicians represent them, maybe they don't vote, Ergo, politicians look at this demographic and say, well, they don't vote, so we don't have to represent them, which in turn, you know, leads this feedback loop. And I, and I wonder what it'll take to break it. And, you know, maybe people had this optimism that something like Barack Obama would do it. But, you know, he failed to implement a lot of his progressive pl- platform promises. And maybe that disengaged a lot of youth. And, you know, and that could have led to kind of the resumption of the, the status quo.
0: And and your point's well taken because people are going to say, well, who cares if they vote or not? I mean, you know, people vote and we elect governments. But politicians want to get reelected or elected in the first place. And they look at these numbers, as as you know, Christo, and they'll say, look, at, if, if I have to gear my policies and programs to the plus 60 group because those are the ones that I know are going to vote— then you're going to forget about some of the issues that may appeal to millennials, that maybe not so much to the plus sixty. Uh, things like public transit, things like daycare, and issues like that are never going to get priority uh, treatment from those because they figure, you know what, the people that want that stuff really don't come out and vote. Yeah,
1: I think that's I think that's certainly part of it. You know, it's like when you look at these elections, like in our recent Ontario election, you'd say, well, it's trying to get the most votes possible. Well, that's certainly true, but you know, it's also, it's a mixture of, okay, well, which demographics vote? How can we get them to the vote? As we know, the Conservatives, even if they, they ended up winning a large majority, but even if, you know, they tied with the NDP, or the, even if they were a couple points behind, they would have won because they had better turnout in suburbia. So it's like our our, our, our system in general, but our first past the post system in particular, encourages kind of micro-targeting of, voter, of voting, which means that, you know, you don't actually have to appeal to a lot of the electorate, you just have to get about a third of the electorate to really like you, and about 7 or 8% extra people to really just vote for you on that one day, and you'll have absolute power for the next five years. And the reality is that with, with, with young people, they're often left out of these equations, because as you know, they, 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 they don't, uh, they're not assumed to vote as often, and even the pollsters correct for this. I mean, polling is not an exact science, but they don't just call 1,000 people, say 250 are voting for this party, ergo they're going to get 25% of the vote. They rejig it based on where you are, your age, your gender, your, 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 your income, your education, uh, your occupation. And they mark all of these things into likely voter models in some cases. And when you call young people, they say, okay, the young people a person says she's going to vote for Andrea Horwath. And maybe she is. But we do know that young people vote less. So we actually, in, in, any good pollster would lower the effect on, their, on, on the polling, which is why when parties look at polling and say, okay, where do we have to target? they are going to at least, at least hypothetically, uh, aim their policy sites a little bit older. And I think that's part of the the, the phenomenon right now.
0: What about the technology, Crystal? I mean, we're talking about a generation that, uh, you know, that's, it's, it's well-versed in, it's it's all about Twitter and Instagram and, and, and social media. Uh, and, and we're using 19th century technology for elections here still. That, uh, that may just I, turn off some people, frankly, because they, they, there are more and more jurisdictions that are moving now to things like online voting and, 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 and that sort of thing, or even the voting method. I mean, you talked about the first-past-the-post method, which is going to be employed again in the next federal election, and now who, who knows how many elections after that, that people may just say, you know what, I, I, I don't want to get involved because the process is so old-fashioned, no wonder it's, it's, it's broken.
1: I mean, I think, I think there's a lot of concern about some of these things. And I mean, some municipalities have been dealing with this. I mean, I live in Kingston. In Kingston, one, since the last municipal election, we've been able to vote online. Um, we, and that's continuing in this election. And actually, in this election, we're having a plebiscite on the question of having ranked ballots for the municipal election for the next municipal election. So there are kind of at the local level in a lot of communities in Ontario, some of these discussions about how to modernize elections. But it's really, it's an interesting phenomenon, because you're right, we have this very modern kind of apparatus around our media, you know, like I said, Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, a lot of these sources, yet it's, it's kind of, it's not just for young people, it's affecting older people, too. I mean, I think, you know, a lot of, a lot of the talk in, in the last federal election in the United States was about fake news, and that was driven, you know, uh, you know whether it was by Russians, if, you, if you're conspiratorial, or uh, you know, a lot of Macedonian uh, teenagers who who could make money off clicks off Google AdSense. If you're if you're more you know maybe more uh, Occam's Razor about it all. But the reality is that um, is that you know it, it was implemented very, quite successfully by Trump, who is this kind of old, very conservative guy, very unpopular with the youth. So even in that sense, it's like the guy who best weaponized mass you know or weaponized social media for his purposes. Is is the kind of person young people absolutely do not like, even if they didn't vote.
0: So where do we go from here? How do how do we increase that number? How do we entice them? I mean, I I don't, I don't think we want to go to the stage of some jurisdictions where it's against the law not to vote. Uh, but but you know it, it's it's one of these situations that I think we're looking at a whole segment of the population, and as you say, a growing segment of the population that seems to be disengaged.
1: I mean, it'll be interesting. One question is, and this is it you know some people might say well is this a pattern and and we could look at historical data and say well what did 30 year olds do in the 1970s how did they vote and is it just a case that as these millennials people like myself age will we vote more and maybe we will and maybe this is a kind of age old question about do young people just become more engaged as they as they age uh, i'm not sure if that's the case in terms of what can we do i think there are a few things i think things like online voting are certainly Uh, certainly helpful a lot of young people have very precarious lives they work irregular hours Um, and you know it it sounds and this is not an excuse because there certainly are multiple ways to vote in Canada but some people maybe you know don't think they can advance vote and therefore on Election Day they're very busy with work or what have you and they can't vote some people have suggested Bernie Sanders has suggested that in the United States at least that the voting day the federal the, the Election Day would become a national holiday uh, and giving, so there would be no, like, you, you couldn't be, you know, have to work on that day and you could, you could go and vote. You know, I think that reforms to our electoral system would help. Uh, you know, that's more arcane because not a lot of people are necessarily tuned into it. But I think a, a proportional system would get young people more excited because one of the problems with First Past the Post, and some people like the system, I'm not, not necessarily a fan, but one of the big problems is, is it encourages negative politics. It encourages you voting for the guy or against the guy or gal you don't like. It's like, I don't like this party, so who can I vote to stop them? And I think a proportional system, at least hypothetically, gives people a positive choice, saying, I can vote for the guy or gal I really like, and at the end of the day, my vote won't be wasted. And I think when you have this language of votes being wasted and voting against your uh, voting against your enemy instead of voting for a positive change i think that that narrative could encourage maybe more participation because it i guess it it it, it, it sounds more more productive
0: well, and it does. I mean, you talk about that element. The other is one candidate has to demonize the other candidates to, to try to, to disenfranchise that. And, and uh, obviously with this other system that you're talking about right now, you don't do that because you may need that other candidate support down the road, or, the, or at least the followers of that, as we saw. Uh, I guess the best example of that was the uh, the, the Conservative Leadership Convention from last year, uh, where you saw a voter shift over to Andrew Scheer on the later side. He's a, He's a nice guy. He didn't take shots at anybody. And it was a lot more easy, I think, for an awful lot of the people that were supporting other candidates to gravitate to him. That that seems to be a common characteristic in in, in that sort of balloting as opposed to what we do now.
1: No, certainly. I think ranked balloting is a good system for municipal elections and for single-party seats, like when you're electing a leader. It's not necessarily good when you're electing um, like parliaments or legislatures. I think there you need something like mixed-member proportional. And these systems are good because they... In a lot of cases, they preserve the local ridings. They don't have party lists that are designed by party insiders. All the options are people who are already running. And most importantly, they, they give people a proportional voice. And it gets rid of this idea of, of winner-take-all. It gets rid of this idea of micro-targeting. Because, again, in a, in a proportional system, Doug Ford can't say, look, we're going to target like older folks and we're going to target the non, non-Hamilton 905. And that's where we're going to win this election. And we can kind of say, screw it to the rural people who always vote for us. And we can say, screw it to the downtown people who never vote for us. And go to that micro-targeting, because 38 gets us absolute power for one half of a decade. And, and to me, it's like that kind of system, uh, it doesn't appeal to me. And my inkling is that it doesn't appeal to a lot of young people. And, and I mean, I'm concerned because young people should look at that system and say, hey, participation is vital because if you don't, you're going to lose your voice for five years in some way. But I think a proportional system, one that if you get 38% of the vote, it gives you roughly 38% of the power, which means Doug Ford would have a strong, you know, a strong lead over the opposition, but he would still have to work with them on issue-by-issue basis, um, I think is a more collaborative approach and is a more engaged approach. And I think, frankly, you know, there's been a lot of coverage at Queen's Park but, you know, there's a certain sense from some people that, well, you know, Ford's got a majority. You know, at the end of the day, he's going to pass this legislation. In minority parliaments, um, be, it, be it under first-past-the-post or under a proportional system, um, I think there's a sense that, you know, we, politics matters. Day-to-day politics matters. People have to pay attention because the party leaders have to debate with one another and they have to constantly keep a pulse on public opinion to kind of understand what legislation should be passed and not and how it should be amended and I think that makes for a much more you know engaging political experience even between elections.
0: Christo Arvelas uh, social sciences and uh, humanities of course at U of T always a pleasure Christo thanks so much for this today. Thanks for having me. The Bill Kelly show weekdays from 9 to noon on 900 CHML. 911
1: 911 Nine 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 what's your emergency? Ah! Hey, my-